Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK, Shamatka Sandu from Toronto in Canada, and uh, we were just talking before we got started about the fact that we're, we're we're kind of doing a bit of retail therapy just to keep things keep things going. Sandu, it's good. I'm so glad I did because UK going into lockdown. By the time most people listen to this, we're going to be in lockdown again uh, Thursday in the UK. Everything shuts down except schools, pretty much. So um, it's not going to affect my life that much because I'm a, a sad, lonely bugger who just sits in his office all day. But um, yeah, that's what it's going to be like. I'm hoping things are a little bit better where where you are. You know what? I was going to say yes, but we just got our first snowfall of the year, and it's a little bit earlier than expected. So it's November first, which was yesterday, and it started to snow already. And I haven't got my winter wheels changed on my car yet, so I need to do that. Not that I'm going anywhere anytime soon, apart from picking up, you know, the groceries and, and all the rest of it. We're um, not in a complete lockdown uh, like the UK is about to head into, but everyone's still trying to be very cautious about things. But yeah, you got some new trainers. I've got a brand new phone and, you know, retail therapy makes you smile. 40, 44 years of age and I'm buying air jordans i don't know what's going wrong with me I've, I've, it's, all, it's, it's, it's i should be buying like moccasins or you know the big slipper that you plug into the wall to keep your feet warm all the yeah. ips have it i should be i should be buying all that sort of stuff um but no it's uh it's it's been it's, it's it's been one of those sorts of weeks but it has also been a very busy week for mma whether you like your regional mma um stateside uh, cage fury had two really good shows this week actually check them out on fight pass uh, our friend John Morgan was on Play by Play with CM Punk. They do a fantastic job. Those two shows were dynamite. So if you've got any time, check out CFFC on uh, UFC Fight Pass. They did back-to-back shows in Philadelphia Thursday, Friday this past week. Really, really good. And a couple of knockout of the year contenders on there. Outstanding stuff. But we're looking at the the really big ticket stuff. And uh, we've got to start off with the big headline of the week, really. Uh, the main event of uh ufc fight night they're obviously back at the ufc apex now um in in las vegas anderson silver's final fight in the ufc and i say in the ufc advisedly because he's been at pains to to make sure that people aren't writing off his entire fighting career at this point but he went in there against uriah hall and uh was stopped in the fourth round and uh it was the, the whole thing felt really weird it didn't feel like it, I've never. It's not often you see someone win a fight and look as unhappy as Uriah Hall seemed to look. Um, I don't know whether it's because he felt that he couldn't couldn't outwardly appear happy, um, or or what it was. But there was a whole there was a very somber mood around that whole main event. It was a very strange energy. Uh, Sandy, you were covering it um, on social life for BT Sport, and obviously we've had big fights throughout the year, and this this I think falls into that category. And I know it was a fight night card. But um, you know, we were talking just before we came on air, and he was saying this, this, this had a much bigger feel to it as an event in terms of in terms of what you were doing. Absolutely, and I think it all comes down to the fact that this was billed as Anderson Silva's last fight, his retirement fight, quote unquote, uh, definitely his last one in the UFC, and just the way it played out. You know, we I think we both picked Uriah Hall uh, to win this fight, and it played out. I think kind of how we expected it to. Uriah Hall has typically, you know, had issues with regards to pulling the trigger 
and you know really putting it on his opponents but he's on a really good run right now and this one was probably weighing on him a little bit you know Anson Silva's a hero to him Israel Adesanya talked about this when he fought Anson Silva a while back as well and um, you know the emotions start to pour out you know as soon as the fight was over Uriah Hall and Anson Silva shared a moment they're crying they're hugging each other they're telling each other they love each other um, Uriah Hall apologized and it was just a really um, weird mood. You know, it's, it's kind of crazy that Anson Silva's last fight in the UFC had no fans in the Apex, you know, really small venue in 2020, you know, and he's kind of like had his last fight in the UFC. So has Daniel Cormier this year, Henry Cejudo at the moment, you know, he's retired. And as he comes back, Khabib at the moment is we were just reeling off the Khabib situation you know a week ago and here we are going into Anderson Silva retirement fight as well but yeah in terms of how big it felt closest thing to a pay-per-view as probably as big as a fight night card is going to get in terms of interest in terms of fans and the MMA community being a buzz about the event itself specifically that main event so yeah this was definitely a big one yeah and I know um we sort of led in led into this main event when we were talking about it on last week's show. And, you know, we were quite open about the fact that there was a fair chance that this fight was going to be an absolute stinker. You know, we said that there was a chance that this could be an absolutely spectacular display of striking. It could be an absolute stinker. It wasn't a stinker. It was, I, I, I thought it was an interesting fight to watch. Um, it never really caught fire. There were some moments where Anderson really looked like he was trying to push the pace a little bit. And that, that made it interesting, but it didn't. It didn't completely catch fire, but it, it certainly wasn't as bad as I thought it could have turned out. And um, given the fact that Anderson Silva's UFC career, certainly according to Dana White, is now finished, um, it's it's probably for the best that Uriah Hall won. It gives him something to move on with. Um, I don't quite know whether he's going to be up challenging some of the top contenders in the middleweight division after that, especially after some of Dana White's comments in the post-fight press conference calling him the most gun-shy fighter in the UFC. And uh, I think he said that he threw like, was it 11 strikes, he said? I think he said he threw 11 strikes in the second round. Um, so he was hardly being praised to the heavens by uh, by his boss at the end of that. So, um, but yeah, no, I, I, it, was, it, was, it was a very strange, very strange event. But let's talk about Anderson Silva, Sandy, because he was there when we both started covering this sport, you know, or he was just, he was just about to join, you know, he was fighting in cage rage. Uh, I think when, when I first started covering the sport, uh, and then he ended up, he ended up, I think he had his UFC debut against Chris Lieben, uh, who we'd watched come through tough one, iron chin, you know, iron hands as well. He was knocking people out and looking pretty good. Anderson Silva went in there and just lit him up like a Christmas tree. He handed him his first ever knockout defeat um and it, it was off and running and you know the rich franklin fights and then so on and so on and so on and he just built this incredible highlight reel talking about goats you know we we kind of talked about it briefly last week about the whole goat debate and all the rest of it and you can look at people's careers and numbers on a sheet title defenses wins losses all the rest of it i don't know there's been a has ever been a fighter in the ufc who has ever generated that sense of anticipation that Anderson Silva used to generate when the lights dipped and DMX comes over the speakers, ain't no sunshine, and he gets in the cage for a middleweight title fight because you knew something something was going to happen. More often than not, it was pretty spectacular. And uh, 
I don't think there's been a fighter since that's matched that. Yeah, you know, in this business, we all start out as fans first, Simon. You know, we uh, try and act professional in our careers and our jobs, who we're working for, whatever side of the fence you're on and all the rest of it. But initially, the reason we want to get into this business is we're fans of it. Anderson Silva is one of those fighters that helped us become a fan of the sport. You know, helped a lot of people become fans of the sport. Is the reason why a lot of people start to follow the UFC. You know, he's one of those fighters that came came along at a time. Can you imagine if Anderson Silva was doing the stuff that he was doing 10 years ago now with how big social media is? Look at what happened with Joachim Buckley's, you know, viral KO just a couple of weeks ago. But yeah, Anderson Silva, man, when, when DMX used to come on, even this past weekend, I clipped I clipped it for social for BT Sport. Just it's one of the all-time classic walkout songs. It's it gives you chills when he when he walks out to it. There's a sense of anticipation. Because you just never know what he's gonna do. Now, the last eight years haven't been great. One win in the last eight years for Anderson Silva, and that win against Derek Brunson, a lot of people had it scored for Derek Brunson, right? Me included. So he got I think he got lucky on that night. But at the same time, these fights have been while he's in his 40s, coming off one of the most serious injuries, a leg break you can have in any sport, in any walk of life. The fact that he was able to have the majority of his success in his you know, mid to late 30s says a lot about how he developed as a fighter, how he was perhaps ahead of the curve in terms of his striking ability. It's funny, you know, Simon, I only got, ever got to attend three Anderson Silva fights and they were all losses. It was... The knockout to Chris Weidman, which to this day at UFC 162 was, is still one of the most bizarre, crazy atmospheres I've ever witnessed, where it was literally July 4th weekend and it's American fans and Brazilian fans. American fans jubilant with Chris Weidman winning, Brazilian fans in the arena just broke, breaking down in tears at, at their hero losing his title in such fashion. And then I went back to Vegas six months later at UFC 168 when his leg breaks, just one of the most devastating things I've ever seen. And then finally, the the Bisping fight, which was a fantastic fight. What a great main event for a UFC fight night card in London. Bisping, you know, at the time and still to this day, you know, talks about how that is at a time was comparable to him winning a championship. And Uriah Hall kind of had similar sentiments. He kind of talked about this in the post-fight press conference where he said, where he said this was his championship fight. You know, to fight Anson Silva, to defeat Anson Silva for for him was like winning a championship. But um, you know, like like you mentioned, talking about goats, every, this is a very subjective topic, and a lot of people consider Anson Silva the greatest of all time. And if that's your goat, I've got no problem with that whatsoever. And um, yeah, I mean, I guess the sport's going to miss him, but I say that with a bit of a caveat: where will we see him fight again, Simon? You know, the UFC said and build this as his retirement fight his last fight but then we find out that he's actually got one more fight left on his contract Dana White has said that he won't allow Anderson Silva to fight in the UFC again so we're kind of left wondering what's going to happen because Anderson Silva himself has been very specific in what he has said in his interviews to say this is his last fight in the UFC but when it comes to whether he'll fight ever again period it's a kind of let's see what happens so he hasn't completely shut the book on it. If he does fight again, it'll be interesting to see where he lands, whether it's a Bellator or a One Championship or a Ryzen to go back to Japan or, I don't know, 
bare knuckle fc or you know maybe mike tyson's league of legends or something like that um you know he's talked about fighting roy jones jr for a long time and roy's getting in shape right now for this tyson fight in a couple of weeks but the best years are behind him the highlight reel is there he's a hall of famer guaranteed he climbed the mountain became a ufc middleweight champion most title defense the records he's got the list of records is ridiculous and yeah, the sport's going to miss him, and it's unfortunate that he's exiting the UFC in the fashion that he has, not just in this fight, but the last seven, eight years. Simon, we've talked about this for a long time. This sport will eat you up and chew you and spit you out. And it's why when guys like GSP and Khabib at the moment walk away, and even Henry Zahuda walk away when they do, you can understand it. To leave on a high note, is a very rare thing in this sport, and Anderson Silva isn't leaving on a high high note with regards to a record. No, you're dead right, and you know you talk about he's had that one win over the last eight eight years almost. It's um, and I agree, Derek Brunson. I thought won that fight, so you know. But the thing is, if 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 you take the the two Weidman uh, defeats out of it, most of the defeats during that run were on the cards. He kind of managed to get to the scorecards, which I don't necessarily think helped him because it just gives you that 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 inkling that oh maybe I can still do it. I'm taking these guys the distance. Um, whereas you know he ended up getting um, he got beat by Cannoneer. I think he got injured in that fight. Um, a leg kick injured him, so it was you know it was a leg kick TKO. So um, and then he got he got stopped by your eye hall. Um, but you don't want to be taking big shots from some of these guys, especially some of these younger guys. So yeah, I think him stepping away now is certainly not a moment too soon. I think it is the right thing to do. I hope he doesn't fight again. And I mean that with the, you know, with the greatest of respect to the man, I think I would have loved to have seen him try a little cross codes fight with, with Roy Jones Jr. Seven or eight years ago, but not now the punch resistance isn't there. Um, and he's fighting against an elite boxer. And the one thing you the one thing that you lose last is your power. So Roy Jones Jr. might not be as fast as he was. He might not be as fit as he was. But he's going to hit just as hard as he ever did. So that against a guy whose chin is clearly on clearly on the downswing, that's not a good that's not a good equation for Anderson Silva. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if he's interested in that as possible. Um but uh, my own personal memories of Anderson Silva watching him fight. You've been to three of his events. I've actually only been to two. Um, weird how that works out. I've watched so many, but I've only been there for two. Obviously, there was the Bisping fight in London. We may even have been sat next to each other for that fight. I can't remember. I, I think we might have been. Um, <clears throat> to this day, one of the most electric atmospheres I've experienced um, covering a fight. Um because you had an arena full of people who wanted Michael Bisping to win, but each and every one of those people were also petrified that Anderson Silva will turn out Bisping's lights in the blink of an eye because we'd seen it happen so many times before. And that 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 sort of tightrope that the crowd were walking through those five rounds kind of mirrored the action in the cage. Um, and uh, it was an incredible event, an incredible fight. Um, and uh, I was at the next fight after that, which was, um, he came in and 
didn't save the show, but he certainly came in and helped the UFC, did him a solid UFC 200. Daniel Cormier was supposed to be fighting John Jones in the main event. That was going to be the big, the big ticket main event for the biggest UFC show of all time. John Jones test positive on like the Wednesday, I think it was. Um, all hell breaks loose. They then put Mark Hunt and uh, Brock Lesnar in as the main event. And then by the end of the day, they changed it again to um, Amanda Nunes uh, challenging Misha Tate. And that was the main event. But Daniel Cormier had lost the biggest payday of his career to that point, the biggest fight of his career to that point. But he still wanted to fight. Um, And uh, Dana White wasn't sure what to do. And then uh, Anderson Silva offered to step in. And Daniel Cormier fought Anderson Silva at UFC 200. Um, and uh, DC beat him on the scorecards. Um, and I think the reason why DC beat him on the scorecards rather than finished him was the respect that he had for Anderson Silva. He didn't want to get he didn't want to get caught with something. Because um, I think watching the fight, it looked pretty clear that DC could do what he wanted, but he he didn't want to he didn't want to walk onto something. But um, and after that, he had the Derek Brunson win, and then he he obviously lost to Israel Adesanya, Jared Cannonier, Uriah Hall, and he's done. I hope he doesn't fight again. I really don't. I think um, at the age of 45, I think, and with the amount of fights he's had, I think he's done enough. His legacy is assured. He's not going to... All he's going to do is put money in his bank. That's all he's going to do at this point. So if he needs the money, then okay, I understand and appreciate that. And if that's what he needs to do, that's what he needs to do. But from a legacy standpoint or from a proving himself standpoint he's done every, he's done all of that he doesn't need to do anything so i hope for his sake and for his and for his health that he doesn't he doesn't become one of these guys who tries to sort of cling on too long arguably you could say he may have done that already in the ufc so um we'll see what happens next for anderson silver but as you say he left the door wide open for him to go fight somewhere else um one championship wouldn't be a terrible option for him they're not exactly blessed with a load of middleweights um he could go in there and, and maybe and maybe do something. Um and he'd be a superstar and they would pay him handsomely for it. And he probably would only need to fight once a year. So th- from an MMA standpoint, that's probably his best bet. I really hope he doesn't go the bare knuckle route. That would that would that would just make me sad. Um but uh we'll see what happens. But hope you know, whatever he does choose to do, um he had an incredible run in the UFC and uh it was a privilege to be able to cover the man uh through through his peak um as one of the greatest martial artists that I've ever seen. So um yeah, respect to the spider, Anderson Silva. That was the main event, Sandu. We had uh it was it was critics would look at this card and say this is a one fight card or this is a one fighter card. Because it what it really was all about Anderson Silva. But we had some interesting stories running down these cards. I mean Bryce Mitchell versus Andre Feely. Bryce Mitchell continuing his unbeaten record doing a really good job. Uh, didn't get the submission against Feely, um, but went the distance, got got himself uh, his 14th straight win. guy I wanted to talk to you about, though, was Greg Hardy. Um, Greg Hardy, um, whatever people say about him and, 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 what, and what has happened in his life leading into his UFC career, Greg Hardy, the UFC heavyweight, is a very, very interesting study because this is a guy who's come in very, very raw, with very little experience, and he's learning on the job on the biggest stage in the world. 
and you can see the 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 levels of progression every time he gets in the cage and he went in there with uh, Maurice Green finished him in two rounds I think he's going to be knocking on the door of the UFC's top 15 soon and I I wouldn't be surprised if the UFC gave him someone in and around that sort of 12 to 15 range next because he looks like he might be working his way up now at 32 years of age, Simon, a UFC heavyweight or an MMA heavyweight is just probably entering their peak or their prime, right? And when I look at Greg Hardy's resume and his record, the Alan Crowder loss was his fault. It was an illegal knee which disqualified him. And then the other loss on his record is Alexander Volkov, which I think was too much too soon. Since then, Jorgen DeCastro, Maurice Green, I think has been better matchmaking He's having a cracking 2020 with these two wins. And you can see the levels of progression. There was a little bit of a moment at the weigh-ins. And it just goes to show that he does cut down a, you know, a fair amount of weight to make the 265-pound weight limit. And for a second there, we, we all thought that this was going to be the first heavyweight in UFC history to not make the weight. He did end up actually making weight, which is, which is great to see. Still a little suspect on the gas tank. And I think that probably just comes down to how he manages himself over the course of 15 minutes but that's the experience you need Simon because when you kind of work your way up the ranks and you perhaps one day headline a fight night card or who knows one day fight for the title five rounds in 25 minutes when you're a heavyweight and you're carrying around a lot more muscle than the the lower weight classes you know it, it can gas you out and even just seeing how he was conducting himself in the post-fight interview, which is about, what, five minutes, six minutes, seven minutes after the fight has ended, he was still, you could tell, you could tell he's gasping for air and all the rest of it. But I agree with you. I think he's someone to keep an eye on. Obviously, the UFC and Dana White in particular is definitely heavily invested in him. Otherwise, they wouldn't be giving him these type of opportunities to be fighting on a main card. And yeah, let's see how he progresses. So far, so good. I, I think I, I don't take too much stock in the two losses on his record. I'm, I'm, I'm much more interested in what he's produced in 2020 and how he progresses moving forward. Yeah, I think I think you know one of those losses was just a learning experience. You know, inexperience in the cage. The other one was just a little bit too much, too much too young, as the specials would have said. Um, but um, it'd be interesting to see where they where they pitch him next. I'm just looking at the UFC's official heavyweight rankings, um, and there are two names that leap off the page that I think would be would be interesting opponents for him. One is the fight that I, I would expect them to give him, which is Blagoy Ivanov, um, because Blagoy is as durable as they come. Um, but I don't know if his power is going to cause Hardy massive issues. So I think from that point of view, it's an opportunity for Hardy to really showcase his striking and also test his gas tank against a guy who isn't going to go away very easily. But the fight I'd like to see is Sergei Pavlovich because Sergei Pavlovich is ranked 12th. That's about as high up as I think you should be pitching him, I think. Um, and Pavlovich is, is big, he's fast, and he can bang. And that's what Greg Hardy is. So I think... Putting those two head to head, I think, would be an interesting, an interesting uh, acid test of both men. I think they both need a test. I think that would be a really interesting one. I think the smart money would probably be on Pavlovich. I think he's just a bit more seasoned right now. But if Hardy can put away someone like Pavlovich, then the top ten beckons, and 
you can start start looking at people like Junior Dos Santos and people like that, and that would be interesting. But I mean, and he's now basically almost being trained by a one man team. And Dean Thomas has kind of taken him under his wing, I think. And he's seeing progression, and I'm interested to see how he does. Um, and uh, we'll see what the UFC gives him next um, in that in that heavyweight division. Who else stood out for you, Sandu, on this on this UFC card? I know you you know you're doing the social media and. We had some we had some good fights and we had some good finishes. In terms of like engagement and people latching onto particular pieces of content that were going out there, other than the obvious guys at the very top of the card, who were the ones that were really sort of doing the business for you on fight night? Adrian Yanez's head kick knockout was absolutely spectacular. And once again, Simon, when do bantamweight fights not deliver? They're so fast, they're so quick. There's so much going on. Blink, can you miss it? It's just fun to watch these guys fight in a cage. Um, so that was a big one. I thought Alexander Hernandez looked really good. I think this is like Alexander Hernandez 2.0 is is what I put out there. And I think he's gone away. He's, I think, revamped his him, himself both in the cage and outside of the cage. I think he, he admitted that his, his frame of mind was just different heading into the, the Cowboy fight, for example. So seems a lot more humble a lot more well-rounded and you know he's a he's a lightweight to keep an eye on and see how he progresses and then yeah heading into the main card i thought the kevin holland performance against charlie ontiveros was was interesting because you know he, he threw him with such force to the mat that it was essentially a, a submission via slam and uh, good to see Charlie Ontiveros, you know, his neck is okay. There's not, not, no serious injury there. And I thought Kevin Holland, just in his post-fight um, moments, you know, jawing at Israel Adesanya, mentioning there's been a little bit of history there in the post-fight interview with Michael Bisping. I like that because if you're an upcoming middleweight and you're trying to plant some seeds that could you know lean into a fight with the, the, the champion at some point down the road, that gets a thumbs up from me. Now, of course, Kevin Holland does have a fair bit to go in terms of getting more results and fighting you know tougher competition and ranked opponents and all the rest of it. But you've you got to be a fan of what he did, uh, both in the cage, in his performance against Charlie Ontiveros, and then, of course, just kind of going at Israel Adesanya, who's just there to be jawed at sitting cage side. Yeah, he's one of my favourite fighters to watch right now, Kevin Holland. I, I I love the guy. I mean, he's always good for a soundbite. He's got he's he's quiet sometimes during the fight. <laughs> he loves having a chat during the fight as well, which is which is always fun to watch. Um, the UFC must absolutely love him. I mean, talk about a company man. You know, he's he's taken the uh, he's taken the cowboy Cerrone route, isn't he? I mean, he's fought four times in the UFC in twenty twenty. He's fought three times in the last three months. It's madness. And he's won them all. Um, and he's, you know, he went split decision with Darren Stewart in a fight that he, after the fight, got out of the cage and went out to Dana White and said, I lost that fight. Um, which just made me even more of a, even more of a, a fan of, of, of him and his attitude because, you know, he, he, he wants to do things the right way. He wants to win impressively. And he wasn't happy that he didn't get the job done the way that he felt that he should have done in that fight. But yeah, I mean, Anthony Hernandez, he, he finishes Anthony Hernandez in the first round in May, uh, knocks out Joachim Buckley, the aforementioned Joachim Buckley, highlight reel knockout of the year 
Joachim Buckley knocks him out in the third round in August. Split decision with Darren Stewart in September. Finishes Charlie Ontiveros halfway through the first round at the end of October. I think he's outstanding. I think he's really good. I think um, he deserves a push. I think he deserves a push. I think, you know, he's he's been a company man. Maybe give him, give him, give him three months off. Let him come back in sort of end of January, beginning of February, and give him a really meaningful fight against a against a name, and uh, give him the opportunity to recatapult himself into those rankings because I think he's earned it. I really do. I think he's an exciting fight. He's also the sort of fighter that if he gets that showcase and he gets the win, fans will just flock to him because he's got that charisma that that very few fighters have got. Um, and he manages to do it in a way that still makes him relatable. He's got an ego without having too much of an ego, if you know what I'm saying. He's, he's, he's got a little bit of cheekiness to him that I think works really well. And he's a damn good fighter as well. He's happy to grapple on the mat. He's got no problem with a bit of wrestling, but he loves nothing more than to stand and bang. So, you know, he, he's, he, he's the total package, really. If you're some sort of prototypical UFC middleweight, what do you want? Good everywhere good in front of the camera, knows how to work the microphone when he wins a fight uh, and is capable of stoking up a bit of a rivalry if he needs to. Tick, 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 tick. Job done. He's your guy. So I'd love to see him get a bit of a push uh, in 2021. Um, He was my my other standout performer. Yanez, obviously, was was incredible. Um, Another one, Justin... uh, Sorry, Dustin Jacoby. I don't know. He might have been before your shift... um, he was. I think he, he was, was on the fight, fight pass prelims. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he great performance against Justin Ledet, and he wants to fight Gokan Saki. And as call outs go, that is the perfect call out because Dustin Jacoby, former Glory kickboxing uh, star, against Gokan Saki, one of the stars of kickboxing back in the, in, in in the early to mid two thousand. So um, that would be incredible. I don't know what Saki's situation is right now we haven't seen him fight for a while um so if he's fit uh, and able to travel that would be an insane fight dustin jacoby versus uh versus gokan saki but um a good night sandu very very quickly just to sort of tie up the whole british thing jack marshman fought on this fight card really good fight with sean strickland ended up losing out on uh on the scorecards unanimous decision but that was a fun fight to watch and Sean Strickland afterwards paying tribute to Marshman in the post-fight press conference, um, just saying how tough the man is. Um, but yeah, it didn't quite go his way um, for, for for Jack Marshman, so we'll see what happens with him next. But yeah, really fun fight card, Sandu. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, I really did. And um, you know, like like I said before, you know, fight night cards don't normally get the traction, you know, compared to pay-per-views. But this one was a little bit special heading in. Just everyone being nostalgic about Anton Silva. At the same time, it was a great showcase of, of up-and-coming talent. I think Bryce Mitchell is phenomenal. Like, I was, even though the fight went to decision, I was just so impressed with how he nullified um, Feely on the ground. And, like, he's just getting better and better. Like, he's got a lot of subs on his record. But, man, the guy's undefeated, 14-0, having another great year. And, you know, it's not going to be too long before he's really knocking on the door of that top 10 in the featherweight rankings. And he could definitely be someone to look out for in 2021 that can push on and become a title contender, perhaps by the end of the year. 
Yeah, and he's one of those guys. He's a nightmare matchup. Like he's a, in in much the same way that 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 Khabib was a nightmare matchup. You know what the man's gonna do, but people are finding it very hard to stop him from doing it. And you know, undefeated at fourteen and zero, huge, huge potential for uh, for Bryce Mitchell, Thug Nasty, who first really came to prominence after uh, an unfortunate incident involving his testicles and a power drill. Um, that was what really brought him to prominence to start with. And now he's making headlines for his day job and uh, all power to him. Um, that wasn't the only event this weekend. Very quickly, just to bring you bang up to speed with everything. Bellator are doing Thursday nights. We touched on this last week. And uh, it was a big one. Bellator 250. Uh, champ versus, well, former champ versus uh, champion moving up, I suppose you'd have to call it. Gagard Masasi, former middleweight champion, taking on current welterweight champion Douglas Lima for the vacant middleweight belt. Musasi getting the job done after five rounds. Wasn't a dynamite contest, let's be honest. It wasn't, it was it, it was interesting. Musasi was just a little bit too good. He was just a little bit too smart, just a little bit too strong and uh, got the win and has been reunited with the belt that he lost in London to Rafael Lovato Jr. Uh, via split decision back at Bellator. I think it was Bellator 200. I think it was Bellator 200. Um, and uh, so he's now back on top. I think it's good for Bellator because Lima's obviously still at the top of the welterweight division. Masasi's now at the top of the middleweight division. All is right with the world. They have champions in all their weight classes. So that's that's good for them. Co-main event very quickly. Henry Corrales beats Brandon Gertz. Uh, there are wins for Dalton Roster, Sabaha Masi, great flying knee. Uh, if you can check out the highlights of that on, on social media somewhere. Jake Hager Sandu, WWE, former WWE star, AEW, current AEW star, Jake Hager. I don't know what he goes by in AEW. Is he just Jake Hager in AEW? I don't know. Jack Swagger, as was, wins what Jim Ross would describe as a slobber knocker. Split decision against former Pittsburgh Steeler Brandon Calton or Colton um, and uh, he was made to earn that but uh, a big win for him um, is that going to do you think that's more of a talent pipeline are we going to see more wrestlers think do you know what Jake Hager's done it and he's making a success of it maybe maybe I could move across and make a few extra quid doing this thing properly perhaps it depends what Bellator want to do they, they let a lot of talent go over the past week Simon and it feels like they're revamping their roster. They've obviously got this new CBS deal at the moment. Um, I mean, they had Bobby Lashley on the books for a while. I remember interviewing him in London, and then that never ended up coming through to fruition, and he ended up going back to the WWE. So clearly, for a long time now, there has been interest there from Bellator specifically with regards to working with professional wrestlers, specifically with professional wrestlers who have a legitimate background in a martial art like collegiate wrestling and obviously you know jack jake hager ticks that box um so i guess it's going to be just as and when really if i guess if the 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 pro wrestler expresses interest and if the promotion uh, that he or she is is you know performing for allows him or her to kind of double dip in the world of combat sports then why not it, it kind of helps you bring in a, a new a crowd that perhaps maybe won't watch your brand typically but they're fans of that particular athlete yeah, and it'd be interesting to see just how far Jake Hager does in that Bellator heavyweight division. That wasn't the only uh, event uh, during the week. One championship came back with a vengeance. They have been holding events over there in Asia, um, but they've largely been 
in Bangkok, Thailand, and they've been mostly Muay Thai-based uh, events. This one, they're back at the Singapore Indoor Stadium. The Singapore government have really bought in and tried to help them get things back up and running. Four of their champions were back in action. It was a six-fight card. Four of their champions were in action. Uh, Zhong Jing Nan, the female strawweight champion, retained her title, beat Tiffany Teo uh, in their title rematch. And uh, Christian Lee, younger brother of Angela Lee, retained his lightweight title with a first-round finish of Yuri Lapakus, who was undefeated coming into this. Um, those two champions retained their titles. The other two champions lost theirs in pretty decisive fashion. Martin Nguyen, the situation, one of the best nicknames in MMA, um, he ended up getting getting stopped in the third round, knocked out by, by Than Lee. Um, that was a really good fight, really interesting fight. Than Lee frustrated Martin Nguyen in that fight, and then Nguyen decided, right, I'm going to put my foot on the pedal in round three and ended up getting starched. Um, really, really good performance from Tan Lee. American, Vietnamese, he will be great for one championship as their, as their featherweight champion. And the main event, Ong La and Sung, two-division champion, beaten Brandon Vera, the heavyweight champ, beaten pretty much everybody in both middleweight and light heavyweight. Undefeated Dutch grappler, Rainier de Ritter walks in there, tells everybody he's going to submit the Burmese Python inside two rounds, goes in, does it inside a round hugely impressive stuff from him that was the main event so we got a new champ at 205 so kind of good for one championship two retain and then you got two new champions they're back off and running again and it's good to have them back in the mix i'm uh i'm i'm, I'm a big fan of watching their stuff on a friday friday lunchtime they normally come on so uh that's always good it's always good news for me on my friday shifts but uh that's what happened this week but that wasn't it, was it, Sandy? There's some some other bits and pieces, some like the press conference from the UFC was throwing up headlines left, right, and centre. Yeah, as far as post fight press conferences, in particular with Dana White go, this was as about as newsworthy as it gets. And there were bombshells left, right, and centre. And I guess let's try and wade through these, Simon. Starting off with I think the biggest one, and that is Dana White confirming Israel Adesanya will not be defending his middleweight championship next. He instead will be moving up to 205 pounds and challenging Jan Blahovic for the light heavyweight championship. That fight is on. When and where that fight will take place, we don't know. But that's the fight. That's going to happen. And I can't believe Robert Whittaker, Simon. I can't believe. We talked about it last week. I mentioned this. You have a short window in this sport. When you get to that UFC championship, that is when you are making the big bucks. That is when you are making the big checks. You're getting you know, pay-per-view points and all the rest of it. Your goal should be to get to that UFC title in any way, shape or form. When Robert Whittaker beat Jared Cannonier and was essentially non-committal to wanting to fight Israel Adesanya next, I couldn't believe it. In the moment... And I, I, I thought, and I, and I figured this is going to come back to haunt him and bite him on the backside. And that's exactly what Dana White used as justification as to why they're moving ahead with Blahovic versus Adesanya. He essentially said that Adesanya was in town in Las Vegas and they were going to have a big uh, business meeting to talk about the next move with him. And he was all willing and ready and prepared to go into that meeting to try and convince Adesanya 
that the, the Whitaker rematch is the one that makes sense. But because Whitaker didn't cut a promo, and like, Simon, you don't have to cut a promo like Chael Sonnen or Colby Covington or what, what any, any one of these guys. Would it hurt you just to kind of, you know, when John Anik or Michael Bisping or whoever, or Do Daniel Cormier, whoever's, you know, laying you up with these questions, would it hurt you just to say, hey, I want to fight the champion next? It's You don't have to give much. You don't have to give much. And now that Adesanya is going to fight Jan Blahovich, you have to think if he wins, they're gonna the 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 train has left the station at that point. You're gonna probably see them trying to make the John Jones fight, which means when are we gonna see the middleweight title defended again next? So Robert Whitaker can enjoy his winter, enjoy you know Christmas with his family. And again, I'm not trying to go, you know, I'm not trying to like, um, you know, really have a go at Robert Whitaker here. It's 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 it's, it's a it's a wider situation and problem that I see when fighters don't take advantage of the mic time when the spotlight is on them because that's what the UFC are looking for, Simon. That's what the matchmakers, Dana White, the marketing machine that is the UFC to try and make the biggest fights possible, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for these sound bites that will work well in a promo that they cut for that particular event. So that fight's going to happen, Simon. And I'll tell you what, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm, I love this kind of stuff because... If the number one contender, like Dana White said, doesn't want to fight the champion right now, cool, we'll just move on. And I'm all for it. And if that means that that'll be perhaps one step closer if Izzy beats Jan to a John Jones versus Israel Adesanya fight at 205 pounds down the road, that is going to be one of the biggest fights that the UFC can put on. They've got so much beef and rivalry and history already. That would be an explosive situation. So I'm all for what this could potentially lead to. Yeah, let me just read this quote because this explains in a nutshell the problem, right? This was Robert Whittaker after the fight. I feel like it... What does he say? I feel like I can play it differently this time. Honestly, I know he's trying to do everything else and good on him to do that. I'm not thinking about him. Maybe me and him shouldn't think about it for just a little bit. He can go up to light heavy or heavyweight, whatever he wants to do. It doesn't bother me. My plans are Christmas, my baby, and then hopefully our timelines line up then. I do want to fight him one day, whether it's in my career or in the parking lot. There's two old fellas one day. I feel like our paths will cross again. As a warrior, it's something I need to do, but I'm not worried about who I fight next. That's I understand where he's coming from, but that isn't going to get you the fight you want. You know what I mean? He needs to be banging on the table saying, I'm the last man standing. I know it wasn't that long ago, but I'm the last man standing. I'm the number one contender. You've got to fight me next. That's literally all he needs to say. Now, he might then want to say, let's get Christmas out of the way and let's do this thing in the new year. Boom. That's all he needs to do. That's all he needed to do. But it's so wishy-washy and non-committal. That is kind of his say attitude. That's not that's not the right way of putting it. That's his demeanor. He's got a very laid back sort of demeanor, and I think it's kind of it's not helped him in this situation because I guarantee he wants that fight eventually. But this, as you say, I mean, the only saving grace he might have is the pandemic, and let me explain why. If Adesanya goes and beats Jan Blahovic, um the logical next move would be for Jones to then go, do you know what? I'll come back down to 205 before I start this heavyweight business. And uh, I'll just, I'll just take my belt off Izzy, right. And hand him his, hand him his first loss. But 
there's all there's already been talk that they want to do this in the Raiders Stadium. I know Adesanya has been speaking about this repeatedly, saying this is where it's going to happen. We're going to do it at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Blah 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 blah. The way things are, though, the timeline might not fit for that. So, the what what could work? Israel Adesanya fights Jan Blahovic. If he wins, he could then take on Robert Whittaker in maybe end of Q1, beginning of Q2 next year. Then you've got late summer, blockbuster. Maybe things are starting to open up. Who knows? But that 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 might work out as a more a more realistic timeline. Um, even if that even that might be slightly optimistic in terms of opening things up. But um, you know we are having. NFL games right now where they're letting five, ten thousand people into these stadiums. So you could still do it in the stadium, but it would be utterly pointless unless it's full. It doesn't make any sense to do it in there unless it's full. You might as well just do it in the apex. So I don't know quite how that's all going to work out in terms of the stadium issue, but um, yeah, it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed for Whitaker because he's kind of done himself, isn't he? He's kind of, he's, he's kind of done himself in, really. But we'll see how all that goes. That's for Adesanya versus Blahovic. People are sleeping on Jan Blahovic, Sandy. People are sleeping on Jan Blahovic. Jan Blahovic could knock out a fair few of the heavyweights with the power that he's got. He's a monster. He's a monster. And people were talking about, you know, Dominic Reyes beat John Jones, right? Dominic Reyes got starched by Jan Blahovic. You know, it's this. This is this is this is not a man to be underestimated. Yeah, Adesanya's got the flashy striking. He should pick him apart. I understand that, but Adesanya's taking on a big bad light heavyweight, who is a borderline heavyweight, and a man with like life changing punch power. So, I think it's a great fight. And the difference with this one is. Blahovic is not going to go in there and do a Paolo Costa and just stand in front of him and do nothing. Blahovic will get after him. So um, I'm looking forward to that. But that wasn't even that wasn't even the only big talking point, Sandu. Like, we had a retirement on Saturday night, supposedly. We had a retirement last Saturday night, supposedly. Um, we all thought that could be when he announced his retirement, that it came across pretty genuine, right? You know, the reasoning all held up. Everything seemed like okay. This is this is an honest, earnest retirement announcement. And then Dana White turns around and goes, "Well, let's not be so quick about that. We hasn't we haven't taken the belt off him yet. We're not going to do an interim title yet, which might be the hold up on announcing the whole uh, McGregor Poirier fight. Who knows? Um, but uh, he thinks Khabib might come back, Sandu. Yeah, the other two big notes from this press conference are kind of interlinked really and it's the first one that you mentioned could be potentially coming back for one more to make it 30 and 0 because according to Dana and actually this has been fairly well documented you know that's what his father wanted his father wanted him to reach 30 and 0 and then essentially maybe call it a day and according to Dana White you know he's already speaking to his mother and I guess you know behind the scenes to try to work it out and if that's the case, it, I think it would be nice where this retirement came out of the blue and caught everybody off guard. It was a pay-per-view in the middle of the afternoon for everyone in North America. I think if you want to do a Khabib retirement fight, at least everyone can then prepare for it and you can promote it properly. 
as his retirement fight. And, you know, who knows if by then, if fans can go to arenas and all the rest of it, maybe, you know, his hardcore fans can actually see him compete one more time with their own eyes in attendance. And then at the same time, Dana White says, Dustin and Connor is a done deal. It's signed. But when talking to Brett Okamoto, he says it's not going to be for a vacant title. It's not going to be for an interim title. Khabib is still the UFC lightweight champion, which makes me think, well, what's the stakes then for that Dustin Connor fight? Is it a number one contender fight? uh, What's going on? It's interesting, right? Um, and even if Khabib is going to come back, is that the fight he wants? Is, is is it the winner of Dustin versus Connor? He's been talking about George St. Pierre and fighting him for such a long time. Then there's obviously the Tony Ferguson fight that never happened. So I guess we'll, we'll see how things play out. Well, let's just see when and if and when Dustin and Connor is officially announced and what the stakes are for that fight. And then let's see how the Khabib storyline shakes out. But... I, I, I've, got, I've got a pretty good feeling. I think we're going to see him fight again. And I'm doing a complete 180 compared to a week ago because Dana White would not put it out there if there wasn't a little smoke to this fire. He must feel fairly confident. And I even think that's a part of his quote, that he felt fairly confident that Khabib will come back for one more. So I guess the question, Simon, is who? Which fight makes sense? And I guess, what's the fight you want to see? Because I think there's George, there's... The winner of Dustin versus Connor, and then there's I guess Tony Ferguson, and then I think I think those are the only options you should be considering if Khabib's going to come back for one more fight, right? Yeah, I mean if he if if Khabib's coming back, it's going to have to be worth it, right? He's not just going to come back for just some routine fight. So there really are, I mean, fighting the winner of Conor Poirier, I mean, where's the interest in that for him? I don't I don't think there is any. I know he's got zero interest in fighting Connor again. None. You know, he's he's made that abundantly clear. And he has also said that he's got no interest in fighting Dustin Poirier again. Like he finished both of these guys in title fights. So there really is nothing to prove. So facing them, also for the UFC, it's kind of I don't I don't I don't think that's a smart promotional move either. Unless you're banking on the whole Connor Khabib and you know you could actually make that happen, but if you bear in mind that after whatever fight Khabib has, he's going to walk away. You're you're losing a potential title fight by doing that. You know you're basically you know it it, it doesn't make any sense. So the GSP fight, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. Like I would have said, yeah, do it six months ago, but right now I don't know. I don't think having announced his retirement and saying, all oh, right, I'm going to come back and fight GSP for the lightweight belt, I just. Because he's saying he's still the champion, right? If he said, I'm relinquishing the title and I've got a legacy fight here against a, against a guy who I think is the best ever, George St. Pierre, this is him talking, not me. Um, then I kind of understand that. I, I, I can understand that. But the fight that, if I could pick any fight, give me the Tony Ferguson fight. Give me that damn fight. We've been waiting for it for nearly five, is it five years we've been trying to do this fight now? I mean, what a way! What a way to actually finish the career. Go, go, twenty nine and zero, beat everybody, and then retire effectively. And go, do you know what? There is one final piece of business that I need to, I need to, I need to attend to here. And he said it himself in a press conference, Sandu. He said, "I can't consider myself the best lightweight in the world until I've beaten Tony Ferguson." He said that in a press conference. 
He hasn't beaten Tony Ferguson yet. Um, and you can bet Tony Ferguson remembers that as well. Um, obviously, Tony's coming off a loss right now, which makes that a slightly tricky thing to square away. But Jose Aldo got a title fight off a loss. So, you know, clearly all all bets are off when it comes to comes to matchmaking. But I just want to see that fight. We've built up to that fight so many times. I've written so much, so much preview content for this fight. Um, you could probably release a small book on it because you know, although most of it's rehashed. Let's be honest. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like we need to see this fight. Surely, if he's going to come back for a fight, and it's not the Tony Ferguson fight, then it has to be GSP. But for me, give me El Kukui versus the Eagle. That's what I want to see. I think the way you can break it down is I think the hardcore fight fans all want to see Khabib versus Tony. And I think having Tony on your record, I think definitely legitimizes the greatest lightweight of all time. I mean, I guess he doesn't really need that. I think we all consider him the greatest lightweight of all time anyway. But the fact that he said that, the quote that you mentioned and referred to, just shows how high in regard he, he holds Tony Ferguson. Tony's going to do a little bit of work, though. He is coming off a loss. I don't think Khabib's going to be fighting anytime soon. Tony's in shape. He's good to go. Make that Michael Chandler fight. <laughs> That's the one that I think you should be making. Anyway, hardcore fight fans, ideal fight, I think, is Khabib versus Tony. Then it's about what makes the most money. And if Connor beats Dustin in January, Khabib versus Tony... Oh, sorry, Khabib versus Connor 2, the rematch. A rematch of the biggest selling pay-per-view in UFC history, the rivalry, the bad blood, the two, arguably the two biggest stars in the UFC right now. Yeah, that's the one that makes the most money. That's If you want to come back for one more and just cash out, that's the fight. And then finally, like you mentioned, Simon, the legacy fight. And I think the only way the George St. Pierre fight happens, it's not going to be at lightweight. And I think George's even mentioned that if they were to fight, it will probably be about 165 pounds. So, if that's a fight, yeah, relinquish the lightweight title so that can then, you know, progress and move on and, and, and have a future with all the other 155ers. And then, yeah, fight George at 165. You're not going to have to drain yourself anymore to make the weight at 155 anymore, which has clearly been a challenge for him, uh, especially this most recent time with the the injuries and the, the foot injury and all the rest of it. And George St. Pierre is not getting any younger, you know? You can, if you want to make that fight happen, make it happen soon. So I'm a little bit torn about what I want personally. I, I think of all the options, I think I'm leaning towards the GSP fight only because I consider George St. Pierre the greatest of all time. And if if Khabib wants to be in that conversation, I, I, I still think that George right now, even at his age, is still damn good. And I, I and I would love to see how that chess match would play out. He's 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 clearly in shape. If you follow him on Instagram, the guy's in phenomenal shape. So he's not exactly been, you know, letting himself go by any means. And Khabib's talked about it. You know, George obviously has expressed you know interest in, in interviews here and there, and talked about there being some conversations about it. You know, potentially coming together. And look, I don't think there's any wrong answer. Is the bottom line. I think. All fight, all these fights would sell well. Some would sell a little bit better than others. There's legacy on the line, hardcore fight fans, uh, dream fight, and the, and then the ultimate money fight. But hey, Simon, Khabib holds all the chips right now. 
if Dana and the UFC can convince him and if he can get the blessing of his mother to come back and, and fight one more time and if you can slap that on the 2021 schedule, sign us up. It would be great to actually prepare for his retirement fight rather than react to it as a shock. Yeah, and you know, I think there are certain things that would all tie together quite nicely. I mean, the UFC were promoting the fact that Abu Dhabi have now got or they're about to have this new purpose-built arena. I think it's called the Etihad Arena, um, which will soon be the home, the full, you know, the the permanent home for major combat sports events in the region. And um, Dana White said, if you imagine what I'm doing right here, basically in a tent on Fight Island, imagine what we can do in a massive arena with a crowd in Abu Dhabi. Um, that could be the international fight week location for for a few years if if things are still tight in america who knows um but boy khabib in the main event in the first big ufc event in that arena in the summer of 2021 makes a whole lot of sense to me he's the biggest star uh for the ufc in that in that part of the world as well you know he he isn't all that far away uh, from from uh, from from the UAE, it's not that far from him geographically, and he has an uh, he has a lot of fans in that part of the world. So that would be really interesting. Um, I just hope, I just hope that if he does come back, that he comes back for one, and then that's it. Uh, I'm not a fan of this coming back and sort of dipping your toe and then going out. A bit like what GSP's done over the years, really. Uh, I'm not a fan of that. Um, as for GSP, though, Sandu. He's fought once since 2013. For him to come back uh, to fight at a lower weight than he has fought possibly ever in the UFC. I, I don't know whether he fought ever fought at 55. Um, but he was always a 170 fighter in the UFC. Certainly in, in his most recent few, uh, past. He'd have to come back. He'd have to trim down to smaller than he's been during his world championship uh, career in the UFC face a guy who has never been beaten, who has fought very frequently <laughs> and, and very recently, uh, having only fought Michael Bisbing since 2013. That is a big ask, even for someone as great as GSP. And if he comes back and then hands Khabib's first, first defeat, then my goodness me, then yeah, move over John Jones. I am putting GSP at the top of the list. Um, but... I find that I find that hard a hard thing to think that that would happen. I just I just I don't know if that fight is what it could be. But give me Tony Ferguson, just give me Tony Ferguson, please. Go on, please. It'd be amazing. Sixth time of asking. Let's do it, El Kukui, please. Anyway, move on, Sandu. We've got we've got big fights this weekend. We've got big fights yes. this weekend. Are you on duty again this weekend? I am indeed. So we've got. You know, we were talking earlier about the light heavyweight title. This has got title ramifications. Tiago Maheta Santos against Glover Teixeira. Both of them former title challengers at 205. Both of them absolute savages. Both of them Brazilian. And both of them one win away potentially from a shot at the belt. This is this is your sort of dictionary defined number one contender fight. Um, which way do you think it's going to go? I'm not sure right now, Simon, because Tiago Santos hasn't fought 
since July of 2019. So he's been out for a minute, and, and that was the John Jones fight. And on the flip side, we've got Glover Teixeira, who's in the best form of his career since he had that run-up to the John Jones fight. Carl Robinson, Ian Kutalaba, Nikita Krylov, and Anthony Smith. And if he can beat Thiago Santos, man, five wins in a row, you've definitely earned a crack at the title. At the same time, Thiago Santos, if he can be the one to defeat Glover Teixeira and knock him off this run, that would be a legitimate case to, to fight for the title next. What's interesting is I wonder what they're both feeling right now with the, the whole talk of you know, Izzy fighting Yan next. They're going to probably be Jan Blahovic's biggest fans heading into that fight because if Israel Adesanya wins, they I think everyone knows everything's then going to be moving forward to a potential John Jones fight. I don't think he'll be defending the light heavyweight title against the number one contender, or maybe he'll go back to to middleweight. Um, but these guys, they need to I think put on a good performance, don't stink up the joint, get a definitive win, use the mic time. We've seen what's happened with Robert Whittaker. He's essentially, you know, lost the opportunity to fight for the title because he didn't ask for it. That's it. You've got to say something. You've got to do something on the microphone, Simon, and a main event slot on a fight night card if you are the winner. Um, so I'm not sure which, which way I'm leaning. I, I think, Simon, I think slightly towards Thiago Santos. It's just hard to say. He's just been out for a while. Um... But yeah, if, if you're asking me, you know, gun to my head, who I'm going to be leaning towards, it's uh, Maheta Santos. Yeah, I've picked I've picked Maheta in my MMA junkie uh, picks, but Teixeira is the guy on form. He's he's fought a couple of times since we last saw Tiago Santos fight. Interesting backstory to this. Um, this is the third time that they've been booked to fight in 2020, and the previous two times they were booked. The first occasion, Glover Teixeira tested positive for COVID um, back in September. Uh, they were then rebooked for October, and Thiago Santos tested positive for COVID. So they both they both had the whole COVID thing to deal with, um, and now they're back. Thiago Santos, I think, had reconstructive knee surgery uh, after the uh, defeat to John Jones. I think he completely did his knee in in that fight. I think he had reconstructive surgery on his knee. So this will be the first time we've seen him since then, which is which was the summer of 2019, International Fight Week. Uh, he's the only fighter to have been a judge to have defeated John Jones, like via via legit means, you know. Because I'm not counting the Matt Hamill disqualification thing. Like one judge gave him the win against John Jones at UFC 239. So uh, I'd have been arguments over Alexander Gustafsson and uh, Dominic Reyes potentially potentially pushing him. But he actually beat him in the eyes of one of the judges at that fight. So um, how how he comes back will be very interesting. How both of them come back having had COVID, whether that has any effect on, on them coming for, going forward in terms of like cardio or anything like that. Um, but it's a hell of a fight. It is a hell of a fight. And uh, Glover, and sorry, and uh, Thiago Santos has a knockout win over the current champion on his resume as well. His most recent win uh, was uh, against Jan Blavich in Prague, Czech Republic. I was there. Um, big, big win for him. So really, really interesting to see because I think what needs to happen here, whoever wins this needs to make a lot of noise. 
They need to send it as much noise as they possibly can and say, Don't go don't go running. This is I am the I am the legitimate next next contender. Um because they're in a tough spot if if Israel Adesanya does fight Yan and beats him. So it's a tough spot, but it's a big fight for the 205 pound division, which is getting pretty exciting. There's a lot going on at 205. But um, some other fights on the card. Let's pick out one or two. Co-main events, Sandu. Andre Arlovsky, who's been around forever. Um, former UFC heavyweight champion, of course, taking on Tanner Boza, the man who rocks the best mullet in the UFC right now. Um, and is uh, starting to make a bit of a name for himself as a as a as a rising threat at heavyweight. Uh, he's a smaller heavyweight, but he's got good hands, and uh, he's got the opportunity to knock over a big name and really push his push his name into the mix at heavyweight. Um, How do you see that one? Yeah, I'm leaning towards Tanabosa here, Simon. Arlovsky's had a lot of losses on his record over the last five six years. He's picked up a couple of wins here and there. But I just feel like the Canadian has something about him. I don't know, what, you know, what it is, you know, quite yet. But there's something about him. He's obviously scoring a lot of knockouts and TKOs. A bit of an enigma in terms of his overall ability at the moment because it's. I haven't seen too much yet where I can kind of, I guess, really put my finger on what kind of fighter I think he is. But I, I, I feel like he's going to have enough. At his age, his experience to to knock off Andre Arlovsky, who's obviously on the, the back end of a, an illustrious career. So I'm picking Tanner Bosa there. The only other fight on the main card that I'm curious about right now is uh, Claudia Gadella. Um, she's back to form. You know, she picked up a win against Randa Marcos and Angela Hill. The Angela Hill one is a little bit dodgy. I didn't think she she won that fight, but look, she she got the nod. She's on form. She's got a two fight win streak heading into this one. I think she's going to have enough. Uh, to be Yan Jianan, hopefully I'm pronouncing that surname correctly. And yeah, I, I think, you know, she's on her best day. She's a violent fighter. So I'm looking forward to seeing what she produces on Saturday night. Yeah, it's a big fight for the strawweight division. Goodell always been there or thereabouts, but hasn't quite managed to get herself back up to that top contender position uh, that she held when she took on Yuani and Jacek a few years back. Uh Yan Jiao Nan is 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 solid. Like she she she's getting most of her wins on the scorecards, but she is a very very tough fighter. She's only been beaten once. That's going to be a really really tough test for Claudia Gadella. Um, unfortunately for us, no British involvement on this card. We were due to have a couple of Brits on this card. Jack Shaw was supposed to be fighting Khalid Taha on this card, um, and he was forced off the event. And Arnold Allen was supposed to be facing Jeremy Stevens in a in a really interesting fight at 145 pounds. Jeremy Stevens, unfortunately, has had to pull out injured. So um we we denied the chance to see a couple of a couple of Brits in action on fight night on Saturday night. Um but uh still plenty on that card to, to keep people interested. Giga Chikadze is always good to good to watch fight. He's uh he's facing a, a debutant short notice replacement, Jamie Simmons. Trevin Giles versus Bevan Lewis should be a decent fight. Look out for Alexander Romanov as well, uh, heavyweight, undefeated, and uh, he 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 could be someone to keep an eye on as he moves his way out the heavyweight division. He takes on Marcos Ruggiero de Lima, um, but that all goes down uh, Saturday night. You'll get that BT Sport as per usual, and uh, the man Sandu will be on the uh, on the wheels of steel on Twitter or the keys of steel, I suppose you call it, pushing out all the. Uh, all that, all that good social media content on Fight Night. 
that's pretty much all we've got on the Brit Pat this week. Sandu, how can everybody uh, get in touch and uh, be a part of the show? The Britpack.substack.com is the place we want you to go. Drop your email there, subscribe to our Substack, fantastic platform. And then from there, all the links are there, Spotify, Apple, you name it. And if you want to follow us on social media, Simon is at Simon Head on Twitter and at Simon Head Sport on Instagram. I am at Sandu MMA on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And of course, you can catch the show at the Britpack MMA on Twitter as well. Yeah, and uh, I might look to see if we can soup up some of this stuff to make it to make it even easier to get to our stuff uh, in 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 the coming weeks. So uh, yeah, we've got a couple of bonus podcasts on 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 the site that you can check out. Um, chatting to Saul Rogers last week, um, had a good chat with him. Obviously, we had the reaction from 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 Khabib, and we'll, we'll we'll try and drop in the odd bonus podcast every every now and again when when time and circumstances allow. But uh, yeah, thanks for checking out the show. Give us a sub if you haven't already. Drop us a note on social media. Let us know what you thought of the show. And obviously, if you've got any questions as well, fire them our way as well. We don't mind the Q and A uh, on the site as well. So thanks for checking out the show. Enjoy the fights this weekend, and we'll speak to you next week. Mm-hmm.